there are times in climbing a mountain that it becomes vertical. Uh, you can go up a gentle slope or two and all of a sudden you're faced with a rock wall that stretches straight up and there's no choice but to hook on something secure and pull yourself up the face wall. In this walk that we're doing together in the Gospel of John, we're seeing that Jesus Christ is God. He's declaring himself to be such. And it is theologically in the stratosphere, if you will, of all the Gospels as he presents himself not just as the Son of Man, but the Son of God in a very unique way, and that he is God himself. And it boggles the mind but we'll see today his declarations are clear. But before we get to that, I cannot help but um, I cannot help but mention from last week. I was talking to Steve after the service this morning, and we got talking about the uh, the cripple being paralyzed for 38 years, and there he was, and life surged into him. Immediately, he was contacted in the religious courts with the religious leaders, who introduced him to. Uh, an ancient rendition of something we have today called the discipleship program. And uh, this, is, this is where a person gets saved and comes into a church, and the church introduces them into a discipleship program. And basically the tenets are, we thank God that you're free. Here's your chain and ball. And we'll build on that, but we want to help you understand what it really means to be a Christian. So I, I, I just couldn't help, but before we move on, Notice the, the, the roots of an ancient uh, practice that is with us today. But forgive the momentary comic relief as we look at John chapter 5. Take a look at John chapter 5. Jesus is going to make seven declarations, very clear, that he is God. Now this is vitally important. Because if he is not who he said he was, that he is an imposter and our salvation hangs on nothing. If we do not identify him for who he declared himself to be, then we are yet within our sins. Very important. Jesus' name is thrown in a, around in a lot of circles. But is it recognized? Is he recognized for who he truly is? Chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus answered the scribes, Pharisees, the Jews, when he said about working on the Sabbath, my father is working until now, and I am working along with him. Uh, it is interesting that in every four of the gospels, all four of the gospels, he is confronted about working on the Sabbath, breaking the Sabbath. And in all four gospels, he answers the question differently. In Matthew's gospel, he mentions David going into the the holy place and eating the showbread, which is only for the priests. And that, that was his vindication of working or laboring on the Sabbath. Uh, that's interesting because Matthew was written to the Jews and they would appreciate an illustration from King David who violated the Sabbath. Uh, the Gospel of Luke has reference to the Son of Man, of man's humanity. And so Jesus, in answering the breaking of the Sabbath, says this, what man of you who has an ox falling into a ditch will not on the Sabbath go get him out of the ditch? He appeals to human sympathy. But when he is confronted in the Gospel of John of breaking the Sabbath, his answer is, 
that God works on the Sabbath. Therefore, I work on the Sabbath. His declaration that the justification of him breaking a day of rest is that he is not under that day of rest Sabbath because he is God. Now listen clearly to what he is saying. God never rests. And you need to thank God that he never does. Now he rested from his creative work, yes. But if he for one microsecond rested, we would all be sucked into a black hole of nothingness. Do you understand? His very working 24-7, if you will, keeps this creation going and allows me to be speaking in front of you and you listening at this very moment. So he never rests. Neither does he need to rest. None of his work exhausts him at all. He never gets to the end of the day and go, Whew, that was a long day, man. I am exhausted. No work exhausts him. Nothing coming out from him takes anything from him at all. Therefore, Jesus said, because the Father never has to rest, or never does. By the way, it's not just creation he doesn't rest of. He never rests in working in our lives. Even while we sleep, he is at work. He never stops. He never thinks, you know, I've had enough of Mike this week. I'm going to take a couple days off because this is just laborsome, man. He's not getting it. I'm trying to get him. I'm tired of this guy. He works in our lives constantly. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus' point is, the Father never rests, and because I declare myself to be equal with the Father, because I am God the Son, therefore, no Sabbath rest is needed or required or of anything that I'm doing. Now, look at the Jews' response. In verse 18, they were mad about breaking the Sabbath, but more than that, at the end of the verse, it says that he even was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They understood the language that he was using. Every language has a culture, cultural context. We didn't live back in this cultural context. There are people who say, well, you know, he didn't really claim to be equal with God. They just misunderstood. Oh, they knew exactly what he was saying. I think the words of Arthur Pink are good to read at this point. Look behind me. Pink, in his commentary, writes this. And mark it attentively. The Lord Jesus did not charge them with wrestling his language or misrepresenting his meaning. In other words, when they said that they were angry about him being equal with God, he never said, whoa, 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 chill, chill, chill. I'm not saying that. Pink goes on to write, he did not protest against their construction of his words. He made an assertion in which by obvious implication was a claim to equality with God. So, far from clearing up the confusion... Jesus begins to rivet six more ways in which he is equal with the Father at one with the Father. Look at chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said unto them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Now, at this verse, many have 
misrepresented this, saying, oh, the Father, Jesus, the Son can't do anything apart from the Father, therefore the Father is over him in terms of God, and Jesus is not God. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Notice the last part of the phrase. I can do nothing of my own accord or out of my own will. Notice, but only what he sees the Father doing. The only thing the Son does is what he sees the Father doing. The Bible says clearly that no man can see God. But we're not dealing with a man here. Notice it says in verse 19 that only what he sees the Father doing does he do. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Let that sink in. All that Jesus sees the Father doing, he does. Jesus not only sees the Father, he sees everything the Father does. He doesn't miss a trick. Do you understand what he's declaring? First of all, back up in verse 17, he is one with his work. But here... The Son and the Father are one in will. Everything the Father does, the Son does. And vice versa. There is a perfect unity not only of their working as one, but their willing as one. Now who knows another man's will? Who can watch and see that? Do you see his declaration of who he's declaring himself to be? It's one thing to see God. It's another thing to see everything that he does. You may see me, but you don't know everything I do unless you want to follow me around 24-7. And even in that, you may not interpret what I do correctly. But here is a perfect ability of the Son to see everything the Father's doing in heaven and doing exactly as the Father does. When you see the Father, when you see the Son, they are perfect in their will together. Do you understand how impossible that is for one human being to another human being? It's impossible. But here you have this unity, this identification that works, first of all, in their working, then in their will. And he goes on and says further, For the Father loves the Son and shows him, notice, all that he himself is doing. Wow. All. All that an infinite God is doing, he shows an infinite son. Do you understand the things that God is doing all the time are to have stamped infinitude upon it? This is a difficult message to preach because the language to try to describe what Jesus is declaring is, is almost, it is beyond human ability to, to verbalize. Everything the Father has ever done from all eternity, all that he's doing, all the time, in every sphere, the, the Son is doing. 
Let me read to you the good words of Dr. John Brown in his commentary on John. Dr. John Brown writes, All that is of the Father, all is by the Son. Did the Father create the universe? So did the Son. Does the Father uphold the universe? So does the Son. Does the Father govern the universe? So does the Son. Is the Father the Savior of the world? So is the Son. Surely the Jews did not err when they concluded that our Lord made himself equal with God. Surely he who is so intimately connected with God that he does what God does, does all that God does, does all in the same manner in which God does it, surely such a person cannot be but equal with God. You may imitate another human being, but you cannot do what they're doing. But Jesus declared that all that the Father does is exactly what he does. Wow. Third declaration of Jesus Christ is that in all the action that I'm acting is the action of God the Father himself. First, I am one with him in the work that I'm doing. Second of all, I'm perfect in my will with the Father. All that he wills is what I will. Thirdly, in everything that I do in the action that I perform is the action that the, I see the Father doing. That's impossible for a man. Fourth declaration. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Fourth declaration is that they are one in their intellect. It is impossible to show someone intellectually something that you're doing when they're on a lower intellectual level. You cannot do it. When I sit down and study my Bible for a message, I have tools around me. I have concordances and commentaries. I have a number of different things, and I'm approaching it from a number of different directions. So imagine if Landon walked up to me, my two-year-old grandson, and said, you know, looked up like, Pop, what you doing? So I set him up on my knee and said, well, I'm taking the Strong's Concordance. I'm looking up the original Greek. Uh, then I'm reading Arthur Pink's commentary on this, and then I begin to explain the process of exegeting the passage. You can imagine his look. Like, do you want to go wrestle? <laughs> he is not at, at the point to intellectually understand. But it says here that the Father shows the Son everything. The only way you can show somebody something is for them to be on the same level as you. Possible not to. See? The reason the Olympians love to be together in an Olympic village wherever they meet is because they can identify with one another. They've trained the same. They've worked the same. They have the same level of commitment, skill levels. And all of a sudden, they connect at a level that we cannot connect with them. The Son can be shown, all, notice all things of the Father, because the Son has the same intellectual infinitude of capacity of intellect as the Father does. Oh, what a Savior. This Jesus who walked the face of the earth, 
was more, so much more than a mere man. And listen to his declarations. And don't tell me that it doesn't matter if theologically you believe Jesus is God or not. It is a difference between heaven and hell. It is the difference between worshiping God and falling to the trick of the devil. And here are his point-by-point declarations. I love this approach because rather than to apologize that he's equal with God with the Jews, he just begins to nail them one after another. Let me tell you another way that I'm like the, that I am equal to the Father. Look at verse 21. Oh, look at look at the end of verse 20. And greater works than these will he show you. I, I take it the greater works are from the paralyzed man who was healed. Greater works will he show you that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, he is the God who kills, he is the God who raises from the dead. Notice in verse 21, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. He has the capacity to give life. If you don't call that equality, I don't know what is. The Father can give life, I can give life. The life giver. This is physical life. This is spiritual life. This is life in its core. He's the author of it. And when it's taken away, he can give it back. What Satan fought, what we fell in the garden and, and lost, he restores. And he has the ability to do it. That's, that's the greater work. Not the healing of a man's body. The restoring of life to that which is dead. Oh, we applaud the healing lines. We got all excited over somebody hearing again and seeing again physically. The greatest miracle was the day you came to Jesus Christ and you got saved. Because you were dead and he made you alive. And he gave you that life. The Father didn't give you that life. Jesus gave you that life. And the Father. They're all one. They all gave you life out of deadness. Greater works than these will I show you. And you won't be able to figure it out, he says. You marvel at it. You lead religious groups and people get saved and you can't figure that out. So what he is saying to these religious... Well, I almost said a bad word. Verse 22. The Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? That all may honor the Son as just as they honor the Father. If you look out over the world, it is not God the Father that people hate. It is God the Son. You can talk about God all you want almost anywhere you go. But when you begin to label that God as the person of Jesus Christ, you will get a fist and a sour look, and they hate him. If I talk about God who is far away and vague and undefined and staying out of the business of my life, and, and just, you know, it's just, that's just, I just love that grandfather in a chair somewhere rocking back and forth 
looking the other way so I can go and do what I want to do. But when I bring to you and present to you that Jesus Christ and the Father are one and that he is God, all of a sudden, the dishonoring comes. The hatred comes. See it? So the Father gives the Son judgment. Notice, whosoever does not honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. Let that verse sink into your mind. The very cornerstone of Christianity is the honoring of Jesus Christ. It is not the building of a kingdom on this earth to a man. It is not promoting some kind of religious, political realm. It is not a social gospel of feeding the poor and clothing the naked. It is the lifting up of Jesus Christ. It is the honoring of the Son. Period. Period. There's nothing else out there. It is not the honoring of the Holy Spirit, as precious as he is to us. It is a focus on Jesus Christ. But let's finish that down to verse 24. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whosoever hears my word, notice my word, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Wouldn't you love that? Possession of eternal life. Eternal life is not everlasting life. It is the quality of life of God within the soul of man. It is God's life within us. It's not the idea that we're going to live forever, although we are. It's the possession of the life of God within our life at the very moment of belief. So much for the discipleship program. So much for the rules of getting eternal life or keeping eternal life or making it more precious. Notice it isn't given to us in levels. Like just you'll get more and more. You, you get the whole deal at the moment you get saved. Whosoever hears my word and believes has eternal life and he does not come into judgment no future great white throne do I fear. There is no surprise at the end of the tunnel. There is no door open, whereas I come into any kind of judgment with God. No matter what finger Satan puts in my face, the accusations he might bring, the human beings that step forward and bring up the past, my own soul that refuses to forget something I failed and sinned at in the past. All that is gone with the Father. Men may accuse us. Men may hate us. Men may judge us. We may judge ourselves. Satan may be the accuser of the brethren, but with the Father, there is no judgment at all. It is what it is what it is. It says what it says what it says. You can't make it anything different. You can choose not to believe it, but there it is. 
doesn't come into judgment, but is passed from the realm of death into the realm of life itself. Now, in the very moment that you believe. Isn't that beautiful? Out of death into life. Not more educated, not better looking, not healed of all physical diseases, but passed from a state of deadness within into a state where there is life within us. Do you believe that church? Do you believe that believer? And why is your soul cast down? Why are you ever discouraged? Why are we ever in the darkness of night? Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what people say. Well, I, I just read what he said. And I think what he says trumps what they said. I think what he says trumps what I say. I think he, what he says trumps what some old religious kook will say about me. <laughs> okay, I, I get a little... Okay, number one, Jesus, in Jesus we are confronted with God. There it is. In Jesus, you, are, you, 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 know, you might hear, be here today and you don't know Christ. Well, in, in the person of Jesus Christ, you are confronted with something you cannot run away from. It is God. And he has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no excuse. It's like a train that's coming and you're sitting on the track. Sit there all you want. It's coming. You are confronted with the, the rumbling of the rails. No longer is God off in the distance and vague and faint. He is in the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, that truth cannot be altered and it cannot be ignored. This is why they hate him. This is why the world hates him. They cannot change what he said. They cannot alter what he said. And they think they can ignore it, but in the end of their lives, they will face who he is. C.S. Lewis came up years ago with a thought. He said, you know, Jesus is either A, a liar, B, he is either a lunatic, either he just lied to us in what he just said, or he's crazy. I'm going to add a third that C.S. Lewis didn't see coming. Or he is just a legend in a book. Irrelevant. Passe. Just something out of the past. He is either a liar, he's a lunatic, he's a legend, or he is Lord of everything. Those are your choices. You pull your lever. Pick your fruit. It's your call. But if he is everything that he said he was, then all humanity will stand before him at the judgment. And number three, there are really only two responses possible. You either hate him or you love him. I'm kind of neutral on You can't be neutral on this. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I just, you know, I just, nice message. You know, the Bible's a kind of antiquated book. And, you know, you're just a little crazy in what you think. And, you know, I just, because you'll run into him later on. 
you either hate him or you love him. He's the most controversial man that ever walked the face of the earth because he is. You, do you see the, the vertical rock wall you just looked up? By the way, one rule about climbing, don't look down. You can get real dizzy looking down. In fact, you look down far long enough, you're, gonna, you're just going to fall. So you're on that wall, you're on that mountain, there's no, there's no, either you're going to love him or you're going to hate him. 